0: Hello, welcome to the Midson History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 48, Perseus and Pydna. The first of the great heroes of Greek mythology was called Perseus. It's somehow fitting that the last king of Macedon, the last independent ruler of a significant part of Greece, was also called Perseus. This Perseus had some of the heroic tendencies of the first, but the odds were stacked against him. He did his best to unite the Greeks and force out the invaders, but he never really had a chance. The Romans were simply too strong, too ambitious and too well organised. Perseus had shown his heroic side when commanding armies for his father during his earlier wars against Rome and the Illyrian tribes and was well ready to succeed his father when Philip V died in 179 BC. On succeeding to the throne, Perseus used his considerable energy to gain more influence in Thrace and Illyria but what he really wanted was to be in control of the Greek world the king announced that he could carry out reforms in Greece and restore its previous strength and prosperity. He formed an alliance with Epirus and also with some of the Greek cities in the south. In order to further his alliances, he married Laodice, daughter of King Seleucus IV Caronus of the Seleucid Empire in the east. The king increased the size of his army and worked hard to form a bond with Rhodes. Next, Perseus encouraged revolution in Aetolia and Thessaly, After putting down a revolt in Dolopia, Perseus took a step too far. He alarmed the rest of Greece by visiting Delphi with his army and taking control of the ancient site. The Roman leadership began to worry about Perseus. He seemed to have the political skill to destroy the Roman hold over the Greek world, and they couldn't have that. The Romans had a thing about going backwards. There was a Roman god called Terminus, who was the god of boundaries, Once Terminus had set up a boundary, he could never be pushed back, and the Romans thought the same way. Something would have to be done about this Macedonian king. Perseus had other enemies too. King Eumenes II of Pergamon hated Macedonia. He accused Perseus of violating treaties. The Romans had finally had enough and declared war on Macedon. In 171 BC, the two armies faced each other at the Battle of Callinicus. The Roman forces of Publius Licinius Crassus were defeated by Perseus' army. The king offered the Romans peace, but they said no. Perseus had won the battle, but he was a long way from winning the war. The Romans had already developed their mentality of not letting a defeat stop them in their tracks, and they were only going to come back stronger. And come back stronger they did. Perseus cast about for allies. He tried King Antiochus IV of the Seleucids, but was turned away. He tried King Eumenes of Pergamum, but was turned away. He tried King Genthius of Illyria, and was not turned away. King Genthius agreed to ally with Perseus, primarily because he was paid a large wad of cash. The Romans were by now under the command of Lucius Aemilius Paulus. They had been based in Athens, and they marched northward to take on the Macedonians. Near the Enopeus River, they came across Perseus' army for the first time. Realising this was not the time or the place for a successful battle, they retreated. On June the 22nd, the armies of both sides were ready. They lined up on either side of the river Lefkos. The Romans, as they always did, asked their priests for a divination to see if they would be successful in the battle. Apparently, the omens were not good. This put Paulus in a bit of a quandary. He was determined to fight, but he didn't want his troops scared by bad omens the romans didn't like to let a bad divination get in the way of a good battle so paulus simply told the priests to have another go the second time the omens were better paulus smiled to himself and prepared for battle before anyone was really ready to fight a horse broke away from one side and splashed into the river soldiers from each army tried to capture it and inevitably fighting started between them the macedonians and their allies had the best of the early fighting and perseus was encouraged he readied himself for the fight and ordered a full-scale attack. Perseus's cavalry were to the right, next to the light infantry. In the centre was a phalanx with two flanks. The right flank had soldiers carrying silver shields and the left copper shields. To the left of the phalanx was more cavalry. A hedgehog of death, made up of 3,000 men, was placed in the centre. The Roman troops were on the other side of the Lefcos River. On the left was the cavalry, in the centre were javelin throwers, just in front of three rows of legionaries. On the right were the Roman allies, and then 120 horsemen, 22 elephants and other allies. The Romans were armed with swords, which were obviously much shorter than the sarissa, which was worrying for the Romans. Paulus surveyed the situation and came up with a plan. He moved his troops so that the Greeks would have to attack uphill. It was obvious to Paulus that the Macedonian phalanx was great on a nice flat battlefield, but pretty hopeless on terrain that was lumpy. He positioned his forces and waited. He would lure the Greeks towards the hills. The armies were of much the same size, about 42,000 men. It would take clever generalship to make sure of victory. Perseus was wounded, although not seriously, early in the battle, and returned to his camp at the nearby village of Pydna. Paulus saw a bit of confusion in the other Macedonian generals and ordered his legions to proceed towards the hills. The Macedonian phalanx followed. As they reached the hill, Paulus let the phalanx catch up and watched as the Macedonians attacked his legions. The ground was rough and the phalanx began to break apart as the men tried to navigate over the bumps. The Romans retreated slowly, making life even more difficult for Perseus's men. Paulus ordered his forces into the gaps in the phalanx. Suddenly, having shorter, easier to wield swords became an advantage. The Sarissa was no use at all at close range and the Romans began to get the upper hand. Paulus brought his cavalry and his war elephants into play and broke through the Greek lines. Now the better training and weaponry of the Romans began to tell. With the phalanx on difficult ground, the Macedonians were suffering. They fought bravely to the end, but had been outthought and then outfought by the Romans. Over 20,000 of the Macedonians and their allies were killed, with 11,000 captured. The Battle of Pydna was the decisive one. It meant the complete defeat of Macedonia. The Third Macedonian War was not the last war between Greece and Rome, but it was the last one that mattered. Perseus was captured, along with his half-brother, Philippicus, and young son, Alexander, Lucius Aemilius Paulus celebrated a triumph where he paraded his prisoners, including the Macedonian king and lots of treasure through the streets of Rome. His name was even changed. He became Lucius Aemilius Paulus Macedonicus, showing that he had defeated the Macedonians. Perseus and his family were put to death a few months later. With their deaths, the Antigonid dynasty, which had ruled Macedon since the Diadoch Wars, came to an end. Macedonia was split into four small republics, all ruled by Rome. The rest of Greece was also under Roman control, although many of the city-states still pretended to be independent. Any Greek leaders who had supported Macedon were rounded up and either executed or sold into slavery. Over 150,000 people are said to have been sold. Macedon rebelled in 149 BC when a man called Andriscus claimed to be the son of Perseus. He quickly reunited the four republics and raised a large army. The Romans, thinking that they had already conquered Macedon, only sent a small force to put down the rebellion, and it was badly beaten by Andriscus, who then took part of Thessaly too. Finally, the Romans started to take the rebellion seriously. The Roman Senate sent a new army under the praetor Quintus Caecilius Metellus. There was no messing about. The Fourth Macedonian War was the last. Swiftly... And with some enthusiasm, Metellus put down the revolt and crushed all Macedonian resistance. In 148 BC, Macedonian independence came to a complete end and the region was absorbed into the growing Roman Empire. The Romans officially made Macedonia, along with Epirus, its first eastern province. And Driscus was forced out of the region into exile and his army was destroyed. The Romans, as always, learned from this uprising and decided they needed to put an end to all potential Greek resistance anywhere in Greece. They demanded that the Achaean League, which they had previously tolerated, be disbanded. The Greek leaders decided this was their last chance, and one of them, Critelaus of Corinth, proclaimed resistance. Corinthian forces began to occupy nearby city-states. The Romans reacted immediately. Envoys were sent to tell Critelaus not to be so stupid and to go home to Corinth quickly. Critellaeus decided he better finish what he started. He probably realised his life wouldn't last too long if he gave in, and he might as well fight to the bitter end. Unsurprisingly, the bitter end wasn't long in coming. Fresh from his victory in Macedon, Metellus marched south. At Locris, Critellaeus and his army were defeated, but the Greeks continued to resist, fighting to the last for their independence. In 146 BC, a new commander, Lucius Mummius, was put in charge. He led a successful and brutal campaign, crushing the Greeks wherever he faced them. The final defeat was at the Battle of Corinth in 146 BC. Mamius completely defeated the Achaean forces and then wreaked terrible revenge on Corinth. The city was utterly destroyed. Every single male inhabitant was killed and all of the women and children were sold into slavery. All of the leagues of the Greeks were shattered and there was no more resistance. The governor of Macedonia was given formal charge of watching over the Greeks on the Greek mainland and making sure they didn't come back for more. The Greek cities, except Athens and Sparta, were forced to pay taxes to the Romans. By 133 BC, most of the Greek islands were under Roman control too. Also in 133 BC, another momentous event accelerated the Roman advance beyond Greece into the east. King Attalus Third of Pergamum died without leaving an heir. He had been a friend to Rome for many years, and after he died the strength of the friendship became clear. In his will, Attalus left his entire kingdom, including the regions of Lydia, Pisidia, Lyconea, and Pamphylia, to Rome. In 129 BC, the entire region was incorporated into the Roman Empire as the province of Asia Minor. This was important for many reasons. It was rich in natural resources It had access to the Black Sea and trade routes and it was right next to the Seleucid Empire. The Romans looked over at their eastern neighbours and decided they wanted even more land to add to their quickly growing empire. The Seleucid Empire had begun to decline. Antiochus IV Epiphanes, though, tried to revive its fortunes and successfully invaded Egypt. The Ptolemies, though, had been friendly with Rome and formed an alliance. During the invasion, Ptolemy the Fourth Philometer asked the Romans for help. Their allies did not let them down. A proconsul by the name of Gaius Papilius Laenus was sent, and he requested a meeting with the Seleucid king. Antiochus agreed. Popilius stepped into the king's camp, and Antiochus held out his hand in friendship. The hand of friendship was not shaken. In fact, into the hand of friendship was placed a stone tablet on which was written instructions from the Roman senate to withdraw from Egypt. Antiochus played for time and said he would call in his advisers and hold a council. Then he would give his decision. The Romans, though, were not like the Greeks. They had no intention of letting Antiochus have time to think. Papilius stepped forward, carrying a big stick. Looking Antiochus squarely in the eye, he very slowly drew a circle in the sand around the king's feet. Antiochus looked on astonished. When he had finished his circle, Papilius raised himself up and quietly and menacingly said, Before you step out of that circle, give me a reply to take to my senate. Astounded, Antiochus replied he would do what the senate thought right. He withdrew from Egypt. The Romans had proved they could push the Seleucids around. The Seleucid Empire never really recovered. Antiochus tried to make the Jewish people in Judea behave in a more Greek way, which caused a revolt, and in the east a new power was rising. In the old area of Persia in the 270s BC, the Parthian Empire was founded. By the mid-100s BC, they were threatening the Seleucids too. In 164, Antiochus Epiphanes was killed fighting them. The Seleucid Empire slowly crumbled after Antiochus died. For the next 30 years, the Seleucids overthrew each other regularly, until 139 BC when Antiochus VII Sidetes seized control, subdued the Jewish revolts and pushed back the Parthians. This was the last hurrah for the Seleucids, though. In 129 BC, Antiochus Sidetes was killed, fighting against the Parthians. The kingdom staggered on until 83 BC, when it was invaded by Tigranes of Armenia, who became king of Syria. At that point, The Romans stepped in and defeated Tigranes, restoring the Seleucids as puppet leaders of Syria under Roman control. The Seleucids continued to fight against each other and the region was seen as very unstable. In 63 BC, a Roman general known as Pompey the Great decided he'd had enough of the Seleucids. He had both of the rivals done away with and made Syria a province of the Roman Empire. Just like the Antigonid dynasty in Greece, the Seleucid dynasty was at an end. Now only Egypt was under the control of the Greeks. And Egypt only lasted another 33 years. Just like the Seleucids, the Ptolemies fought against each other. By about 80 BC, Roman influence was so strong, the Ptolemies couldn't really do anything without Roman agreement. In 51 BC, Ptolemy XIII, Theos Philopater, succeeded to the throne alongside his sister, Cleopatra VII. He was 10 and she was 17. In 48 BC, Egypt was the site of one of the final acts in the Roman civil war between Pompey the Great and a chap called Gaius Julius Caesar. Pompey was assassinated by his enemies while seeking refuge with Ptolemy XIII. Cleopatra welcomed Caesar to Egypt. They had a relationship and she gave birth to Caesar's son. After Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC, she began a relationship with Mark Antony, Caesar's friend. This was the end for Ptolemaic Egypt. Antony fought a bit of war with Caesar's adopted son and heir, Octavian. Antony and Cleopatra, as everyone knows, lost the battle, and in 30 BC they both committed suicide. Octavian, who soon renamed himself Augustus Caesar, incorporated Egypt into the Roman Empire as a province. The Greeks had lost their independence. All three of the kingdoms formed after the wars of the Diadochi had gone. Two of them were entirely controlled by the Romans and the third split between the Romans and the Parthians. Greek culture, though, did not die. In fact, the Romans took a lot of their own culture from the Greeks and Greece became an important place for learning in the Roman world. The Greek language and Greek influence outlasted the Roman Empire. Indeed, after Rome fell, the Eastern Roman Empire, which survived another thousand years, was as Greek as it was Roman. Independent Greece may have been gone, not to return for 2,000 years, but Greece was alive and well. Next week, we will take one last look at Greek learning as we examine some of the later Greek philosophers. Before that though, a quick reminder that I am planning a question and answer episode, and so please send in any questions you have about Greek mythology or Greek history, and I'll do my best to answer them. Also, I've put a question out there for you. Who is your favourite character from the Trojan War, and why? Please send your question and answers in by email to me, mythandhistory at gmail.com. You can also friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History, and send me a question through there. Please visit the website of the podcast, www.mythandhistory.podbean.com. And if you do get the chance, I would be really grateful for a favourable review on iTunes. So, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.